Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Encounter Church. Uh, today we have, uh, we have the privilege of starting off a brand new series together called I'm Over It, like so over it. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit, uh, I guess, on my heart behind uh, what goes into this series and why I think it's, uh, it's worth our time and, and really worth uh, having the opportunity to experience some life change as a result of this time uh, together. Um, this series comes kind of based on this idea uh, that we have these Moses moments, is what we're going to call them. These, these moments where we have an option in front of us about what kind of person that you're going to be or what kind of life am I going to live. And it's, and it's an opportunity for us to either choose obedience and life or destruction, disobedience, and death. It comes from a story in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses, just as he's bringing the people, God's people, the Israelites, out of the wilderness, 40 years wandering around, just eating the, the manna, like the cracker dust that miraculously appeared outside of their tent in the morning. 40 years of that, and they're on the doorstep of what they're calling their promise, the land, Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. They're, they're moving from a time where where they get to have houses, there's gardens, and there's vineyards, and there's farms. There's cities, there's, there's a supermarket, there's a store there. Can you, I mean, like, for them, the, the, the change that's happening is, is huge because they're going from like moving from daily bread in the wilderness to like Costco kind of provision where they can store up and buy in bulk. They don't need to rely on God anymore. And so in, in Deuteronomy 30, Moses, Moses gets his chance and he gives him this speech. And he says, don't, don't forget. Don't forget the lessons of the wilderness. Don't forget how God shaped you. Don't forget how God formed you. So some things are going to be easier in the, in the land of Canaan. Shopping, eating, life is going to be easier. Some things are going to be harder. Faith is going to be harder. And so he says in Deuteronomy 30, choose this day. Choose life. Choose, he says, obedience. Choose life and obedience over disobedience and death, which inevitably leads to destruction. And so that's what we're doing. In these like Moses moments, we're coming before God in this Moses moment, and we're going to go, I choose life. I choose obedience over death, over disobedience. And throughout this series, in four different ways, we're going to have these Moses moments where we choose diligence over regret. We're going to choose surrender over control. We're going to choose God's purpose over people's popularity and praise. Today, we're going to choose belief over doubt. Now, that's a difficult thing to like just automatically choose belief because a lot of us, a lot of us kind of approach faith or approach belief a lot like we approach relationships and romantic relationships and a lot of us approach that and go, I mean, faith is a lot like love. I mean, you just kind of fall into love, right? Or you fall out of love, right? I mean, I mean, faith, like relationships, is something that you fall into or out of. You can't choose belief. You can't choose faith. We're going to push back on that just a little bit this morning. Because all of us, at some point or another, we, going, we have gone through and probably will go through these seasons of skepticism or these seasons of doubt. In fact, that's one of the most common questions that people ask me, and it's usually like under the cover of darkness, you know, like during worship or afterwards, soon after, and it's like, you know, pastor, or if they know me, it's like Dirk. Um, hey, listen, do you, do you ever have like these, these moments or these seasons of, of skepticism or, or of doubt? 
And I just kind of like look back and go, no, never, not once. Have I ever, no, 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 of course, right? Because I'm human. We're all human. You know, and that doesn't disqualify us. I go through these stretches. I mean, one time, like in college, there was a big one where I'm just like wondering, you know, and I'm, I'm lying awake in my dorm room at night like, God, are you even out there? Is there something, someone out there? Are my prayers, are these words even like making it past the ceiling of my dorm room, right? And I'm in school to become a pastor. And I'm like, this, is this a bad sign? Like, I don't know. And what I needed, what I needed in that moment is for one of you to come alongside me in that season and say, no, 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 doubt isn't, doubt isn't. The antithesis of faith. Doubt isn't a disqualifier of faith. Doubt is a part of faith. Because honestly, if you're not doubting at some points, if you're not wondering about some things in faith, chances are you probably haven't pressed on it as hard as you could press on it to get some more of those good answers on the other side. Because it's that skepticism or that doubt that drives me to like, no, 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 I need a better answer. I need a deeper understanding of this thing, of how the world works or who God is. But some of us, we don't want to do that. We don't want to press in. We don't want to doubt because, because what, if, what if I can't understand or what if I don't get all of the answers, at least right away, to the questions that I'm asking? And if you're kind of, if that's what's keeping you from pressing in a little bit further, this wonder, what if I don't get everything? I just want to give you this thing. You don't need to understand everything in order to believe in something. And the reason why I think I can say that, you don't need to understand everything in order to believe in something. The reason why I can say that is because quantum physics is a thing that exists, right? Like, true story, in preparation for today, I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn a little bit about, like, the deep stuff of physics, you know, and to, like, share about how some of these particles, like, act and don't act, like, how we'd expect them to, and be like, hey, you don't need to understand everything. And then I started, like, digging into it, and I'm like, I have got no idea, like, how any of this thing works. And with my luck, there's going to be somebody who's, like, a physicist out there, and I thought it was a physician for a while, and that's something else, and I'm like, I need... I need to back off from this thing entirely. So we're going to go we're going to go with letters instead. We're going to go with English as a language as my example. You don't need to understand everything in order to believe in something. Fun fact, English language, the words though, dough, through, tough all end with the same letters. How in the world is that possible? Could you imagine being a second language learner and be like introduced to this thing? And what a weird language. I, I don't get it. And I don't need to. You don't need to understand everything in order to believe in something. I'm going to get in my car after our time together here. And I'm going to turn the key. And hopefully it's going to start, first of all. And then I'm going dri- to drive home. And I'm going to accelerate up to a safe speed. 55, no more speed limit. And I'm going to use the long skinny pedal to get going fast. And then I'm going to use the short wide pedal. And presumably, I believe that it's going to slow me down. I have no idea how this thing works. I don't know what's going on under the hood of this thing. I mean, presumably there's like pistons and there's gears and there's gasoline, there's oil. I don't know. There's other stuff going on. I don't need to understand everything in order to believe in something. And some of you, what's keeping you from taking that next deep step of faith is a question. Why do bad things happen to good people? How can Jesus really be the son of God? How can he be both God and man at the same time? You've got a question, and it doesn't quite make sense in your own mind, in our minds, what the answers could possibly be. 
and it's keeping you from diving in. It's going, I don't understand it all. And I just want to tell you, you don't have to understand everything in order to believe in something. But you do have to start somewhere. And so this is where we're going to start. We're going to start from a place of doubt because that's where Jesus started for the place of doubt. And what's eternally comforting to me to know is that among Jesus' disciples, among Jesus' close followers, among the people who saw the things that Jesus did, among the disciples who watched as Jesus went to his friend's house, Lazarus, who had already been buried long enough to the point where he started to smell, the Gospel of John tells us, he called into that grave, Lazarus, my friend, come out, and the dead man came out. The disciples saw that take place. And then doubted and didn't believe. The disciples saw as Jesus gave sight miraculously to a man blind from birth. The disciples watched as Jesus restored hearing miraculously to a dead man. I mean to a deaf man. They watched all of this take place and then they doubted. A hundred percent of the disciples doubted the resurrection of Jesus. And so I just find that an extraordinarily comforting fact that in my seasons of wondering, in my seasons of curiosity, in my seasons of pressing in for some deeper and better answers, that we are surrounded with the company of the very first followers of Jesus and the biblical authors, the disciples. So we're going to go there. And we're going to hear from one guy, probably the king of all of them, as Jesus presses in to him for some of these answers. We're going to go to John chapter 20. We're a phone-friendly church, so if you follow along in the Bible app or some other device, that is welcome. And the words are going to be on the screen, of course, too. John 20, and we're going to pick it up in verse 24, where we read that Thomas, also known as Didymus, Thomas was his Hebrew name, Didymus is his Greek name. Both of them translate to twin which is kind of curious because we've got a bunch of twins in our community and I could not imagine like a parent's naming one of them twin. Like what, is the, what does the other one get? You know, like twin B? I don't. Anyway, Thomas, also known as Didymus, both of them mean twin. We'll call him T. Diddy, right? Because we're, we're trying to rebrand Thomas throughout this time because you guys, you guys know who this, who this guy is, right? What you, it's not just Thomas. You guys know him as Doubting Thomas, exactly. Just sit tight, okay? Doubting Thomas, it's all of us, Thomas, right? I mean, so we're rebranding him as T. Diddy because we're going to be introduced to another side of Thomas that I hope you leave here today with a little bit more respect for our man T. Diddy. Okay, Thomas Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He should have showed up for church that day. I mean, Jesus shows up to the disciples, and they're afraid. They're locked in this little room, and Jesus shows up and speaks this word of peace to the group of them. They don't know what to do, so it's like a little prayer meeting that they've got going on on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. It's not their Sabbath. It's now our Sabbath because Jesus had this habit of showing up on that day, so they're like, this is the new day. Jesus shows up to them after his death, after his burial. Jesus is now standing in their living room in the midst of their prayer meeting, speaking a word of peace to them, yet Thomas wasn't with them. Can I just tell you that you miss a lot when you're not around? I mean, last week it was kind of fun because, um, as we heard earlier, we gave away these little envelopes of cash and we called it our giving challenge, joining the heart of God and generosity. And we're like, we want you to participate. So we just handed out a couple hundred of these envelopes at uh, all of our locations and just like bless somebody and, you know, share the story with us. And we heard about those instructions. Um, 
And I heard, like, come on, the one day that I, like, don't show up for church, like, you, give, you literally give away envelopes of cash. And it's like, yeah, imagine if you're Thomas, right? The one day I, like, don't show up for the prayer meeting and the resurrected Lord stands amidst everybody and speaks a word of peace. This is, this is Thomas. Thomas, you miss a lot when you're not around. Let's go to verse 25, the next line here. It says, so the other disciples were happy to fill him in. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, I put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. It's specific, right? See the nail holes. Hand into the side. Thomas knew what his litmus test for belief was. Physical evidence. What's yours? What's mine? I believe in faith like a spectrum of belief. And we're on this faith journey. And we're moving on the spectrum. Hopefully towards the center. Towards the Jesus. And I just think about what that barrier is for me to take the next step towards Jesus as the center. And I think all of us are making our way towards Jesus at the center. I hope and I, I pray that you are. But, but on that journey, there's a barrier. And maybe it's a barrier very early on of belief. And like, because of this thing, I just can't get over and take my next step. Or maybe you're a little bit further on and, and you mostly believe, but you're having a hard time trusting Trusting God with finances or trusting God with your job life, vocational life. Trusting God with quitting the one thing, stepping out into a brave new thing, not having it lined up yet. Just that trust factor and going, God, I don't know if I can trust you. And you have a litmus test. You have something that hasn't come together for you to believe, for you to trust and to, and to take that next step. And, and Thomas Right, honest Thomas, not doubting Thomas, honest Thomas is up front with it and going, listen, physical evidence, that's the thing that I need. He knows and he's courageous, Thomas, enough to say what that thing is, physical evidence. Some of us, in the sober moment, we can be honest, some of us are not quite as honest as Thomas is. Because some of us have a hard time stepping over from unbelief into belief or have a hard time stepping over from belief into trust because we, we put up a smoke screen. We say things like, I can't believe. Why can't you believe? I can't believe because, because the church hurt me. And in all humility, I'd like, I'd like for your trust and confidence to speak into this space, into the space I, I recognize that as a representative of the church, I might not be welcome, but just hear me out anyway. Friend, the church did not hurt you. That's something that we say to skirt around an infinitely more difficult truth that someone in the church hurt you. And they may have been a representative of the church, and I understand that. And you might have your reasons, but by able to say, like, the church hurt me, so I can't identify with Christ and call myself a Christian because of the church, we have to recognize the whole church didn't hurt you. A person in the church hurt you. John hurt you. Or Susan hurt you, betrayed you, let you down. Someone in the church, and, and we recognize, I don't want to say that. It's easier for me to condemn the entire body of Christ than it is to say, no, 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 it was this specific or these specific people who said this 
And it caused monumental pain because when we say that, we kind of we know the heart of Jesus and we know what he's going to ask us to do next, right? We know the heart of Jesus and we know that Jesus is going to tell us, you know, I love John and I died for Susie and I rose again for new life for both John and Susan. And I love you, and at one point, Dirk, you were an enemy of mine as well, and I, just, I still loved you to death and back again to new life. So if you follow Jesus for long enough, regardless of the hurt, he's asking. He's asking to forgive. That doesn't necessarily look like a restored relationship, but for our sake, and I think for the sake of the kingdom, he's asking us, I don't want to do that. And so I'll throw out my own litmus test and I'll just say the church hurt me because don't ask me to forgive and don't ask me to heal and be well. I want to carry this thing on. It's courageous, Thomas, because at least he says whatever the barrier is from taking him to the next step in his faith development. He's honest about what his is. I just, I wonder what, what some of ours is. He's not doubting Thomas. He's a... Uh, He's honest, Thomas. I think he's courageous, Thomas, for saying what his thing is. He's, uh, he's asking for the evidence in front of him because he's not settling for a second-hand faith. That's another way to, to view that. You know, the disciples, his, his friends, they tell him, hey, man, you got to believe in this thing. And he says, I'm not going to believe it just because you told me. I'm not going to believe it just because my friends told me to. I want to experience it for myself. Can I say, uh, there's this weird generational kind of tension, right, going on, where, like, we have some, some phrases for one another, where, like, millennials are ki- killing the funeral industry. Millennials are killing the Kleenex industry. Like, all, like you guys have read the articles, right? And, kind of, and it's like, okay, boomer, right? And we've got like these nasty things. We kind of lobby back and forth. So there's a lot of like this generational conflict. And I don't, I don't know what, what to make of that. But I'd just like to say something that I think millennials and Gen Zers, kind of on the younger side too, they really sort of get the, the raw end of the deal on some of this stuff, right? Especially as it relates to faith. Because sometimes they're like, well, you guys are just like walking away, you know, and like not showing up to church and not doing things like we used to do it and like, you know, all that sort of stuff. I want to kind of speak on behalf of those generations. I'm not a Gen Z guy at all, barely a millennial, but I'm holding on right by my fingertips. But, and just kind of speak into some of that and go, you know, there's, there's honestly kind of a courageous thing about this that I have a deep and profound respect for. If somebody who says, I'm not willing to settle for a secondhand faith. Right? It's, it's honestly easier as a, as a pastor, as, a, as somebody who loves Jesus and wants to ha- have an honest conversation about Jesus with people. It's so much easier to work with somebody who's like, I just, there's these eight questions that I need good answers for, and that's the barrier, rather than, rather than just sh- showing up and saying I believe, just because my parents believe it, not settling for a secondhand faith. It's honestly, it's extremely, extremely refreshing. It's honest, Thomas. It's courageous, Thomas. You know, in John chapter 11, uh, when the Lazarus story that I referenced earlier uh, took place, uh, Jesus decides, okay, it's been a few days and I think I'd like to go and I think I'd like to comfort um, his sisters, Lazarus's sisters, uh, and just be there for the family. And Jesus is going, well, we're going to Jerusalem, and the rest of the disciples are like, you have got to be kidding. You have lost your mind, Rabbi. Jerusalem? You know they don't like you there, right? You know, Jesus, they're going to kill you in Jerusalem. And they weren't wrong. 
by the way, like I kind of read the back of the story. Like they were right. They killed him in Jerusalem. But yet Jesus wanted to go nearby to be with the family of his deceased friend, Lazarus. Nobody thought it was a good idea, according to John, except one guy, courageous Thomas, stands up and says, let's go there together so that we may die with him. I told you, we're rebranding. He's not doubting Thomas. He's courageous T. Diddy, right? This guy who's not settling for a second-hand faith. This guy who would join Jesus in his death. This guy who would say exactly and honestly what that barrier to faith for him is. He recognizes that if he is in, this thing is going to demand his whole life. And so he just wants to be sure. I love it. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. He's like, I'm not missing out twice. I'm going to show up to the prayer meeting this time. You miss a lot when you're not around. I'm going to be there. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I'm going to make a comment on that one right away. But just a, a first thing about how Thomas shows up for the second prayer meeting. You know, he missed the first one. He was there the next time. He's got his questions this is, this is like, this is church in the first century. This is some of the first church, I think, that was actually taking place. They're gathering on the first day of the week, and Jesus shows up. That's like what's been happening every weekend for the last couple of thousand years. We gather on the first day of the week, and Jesus shows up. It's a perfect thing. And I just, I love how they're doing church, because it's the first time in recorded church history, I think, that somebody shows up to church not really believing in Jesus. I mean, that's like, if you're new to Encounter, that's our jam. That's what we do around here, right? We make space. I mean, I get that question all the time about, like, I don't know if I really believe in this stuff, and I'm just, I'm really kind of unsure. I've got some big questions. Like, you know, do I have to believe something in order? And I'm like, no, because Thomas, right? Because this guy was skeptical, and yet he shows up, and the disciples made room to accommodate him to be there. This is Thomas. He's wondering about the questions of his faith. He's not wandering away. And I think that's extraordinarily important for us, how we do life and how we do faith as a community. We wonder. We ask our big questions. How could God allow so much suffering and evil to go on in the world? How could he remain good through it all? How in the world is this good God going to put everything sad right again and good again? I don't know. I'm wondering these things, but I'm wondering it in community. I'm not wandering off on my own because that's where predators come and that's where we get taken down as individuals. I'm wondering, I'm not wandering away. Thomas is also the guy who's probably reading the blogs and the books. He's showing up for small group. He's showing up for Bible study. He is honestly trying to get those good answers to his questions. He's wondering, he's not wandering. And in the prayer meeting, Jesus shows up. But most of us get a little bit more distracted with the fact that the doors were locked. (laughs) How did, he, how did he show up? The doors were locked. John tells us that the door, and then Jesus is there. I get, I get asked this question a lot on this particular passage, like, how do you think he got in, you know? As if that's the point of the story. <laughs> you think in our resurrected bodies in heaven we'll be able to walk through doors? I don't know. I don't think John told us the fact that the doors were locked in a comment about Jesus, I think that he told us that the doors were locked more on a, as a comment 
on the state of the disciples' frame of mind, on the state of the disciples' spirituality, not on the fact of Jesus' power. I think that he shares that the doors were locked because these were guys that just watched as their rabbi was arrested, beaten up, crucified, dead, and buried, and they're wondering, are we next? Their anxiety is being projected through the fact that the doors were locked. Their uncertainty is projected through the fact that the doors were locked. Their fear is projected through the fact that the doors were locked. This is a comment about them. Yet, Jesus shows up in the anxiety. He shows up in their uncertainty. He shows up in their fear. And the word that he shares is peace. I would love for us to, every time that we hear the fact that the doors were locked, not wonder if we'll be able to go through doors in heaven, but simply know that Jesus shows up in your fear. Jesus shows up in my doubt. Jesus shows up in my anxiety. Jesus shows up in the word that he speaks. His peace. His peace. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Almost the exact same words that Thomas used earlier. Reach out your hand and put, that's a, that's a soft, that's too soft of a word. Reach out your hand and the, the Greek word there, throw it into my side, cast it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. It is graphic. It is a little uncomfortable, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what his resurrected body, I don't even know if Jesus could walk through a door, right? I don't know what his resurrected body was like. If the, if the scars kind of healed over, if the, if the side was a couple of weeks, if it like kind of sealed up or if it was still open, I don't know. But Jesus shows up and using the same words, he goes, Thomas, man, I'm going to meet you where you are. And I understand that you have some legitimate questions and I respect that you are wondering and not wandering off on your own. Thomas, here's the gaping wound in my side where a soldier had just put a spear in it a couple of weeks earlier. I just gave my life for you. If you need to grab a rib, throw your hand in and go ahead and get it done. That's how much I care. That's how much I love you. To death, back again, and also to be able to touch a rib or two. Stop doubting and believe. The fact that Thomas is told to stop doubting, tells us something, doesn't it, about faith? It tells us something about belief. Kind of coming back to that romance language of falling into love or falling into belief, and Jesus is just standing there, open wound in the side, and saying, no, this is a choice. This is a Moses moment. You have a choice of faith and belief over skepticism in doubt. And in this Moses moment, I want you to choose life. I want you to choose obedience. I want you to be explicit about the kind of person that you're going to be and the kind of life that you're going to live. He shows up and he gives Thomas, so frustrating, he gives Thomas exactly what he needs, and I think, but I want that too. <laughs> I mean, I want Jesus to show up bodily form, you know, hand Wounds, side open. I want Jesus to show up and give that to me. C.S. Lewis said, God has a tendency to give us exactly what we need, even though it's oftentimes not what we think we need. <laughs> you know, is it possible that God is giving you, that Jesus is actually giving you? Maybe not what you want. 
but he's giving you what you need, like a day at a time. He's giving you daily bread. And you want Costco buying in bulk. <laughs> but a step at a time, a day at a time, it's exactly, exactly what we need. And Thomas falls down in verse 28. I imagine he fell down. I couldn't stay standing. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Commentators like to make a big deal out of that because Thomas here is a good little Jewish kid. And one thing that separated the Jewish kids away from the Greek kids and the Roman kids and every other kind of kids is this was a very peculiar people who had no image of their God. They didn't have any statues. They didn't have any pictures. One of the things that separated them apart was actually in the Big Ten list of commandments, don't have any images. And so for the fact of this good little Jewish kid to fall down on his knees and to say, my Lord, Curios, my God, Theos, the same words that were assigned to God in the Old Testament or to Thomas, it was just called the Testament in the Bible, He uses the same language to ascribe them to Jesus. One commentator said, this is perhaps the strongest single declaration of the divinity of Christ found anywhere in the Bible. My Lord and my God. And it all started with doubt. Doubt is not the end of faith. Some of you need to hear that because you're struggling and you're asking those questions and you need to hear that doubt isn't the end or the unraveling of your faith. Doubt is often just the beginning and it's a beautiful beginning. Verse 29, wrapping it up, Jesus said, Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you believe I gave you that. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking about us. Jesus is talking about you. 2,000 years ago, he's talking about you. Thomas, yeah, you've believed because you've seen me. Thomas, I've got a mission for you now to go out and to share this story with countless others. And And when they believe, even though they haven't seen it like you've seen it, I've got a word for that, Thomas, and it's called blessed. In this Moses moment, when we're, when we're, posed with this question of choosing faith and belief over doubt and uncertainty. This, this Moses moment where we're going, is it true? And Thomas is like, yes. I mean, I was there. I saw, I felt, grabbed a rib. It's true. But then the next question is, is it worth it? Because that's a lot of the question that we're asking. If it's true, sure. Is it worth my life to this cause? You know, the story was big enough. So Jesus breaks into the disciples and he tells them, he goes, listen, you're my witnesses, you're my people. You're gonna tell the world about this starting here in Jerusalem and then in the surrounding regions, Samaria and Judea. And then you're gonna go to the ends of the earth and tell the whole world about what you saw here. And Thomas did. It's kind of outside the Bible sort of sources on this, but it says that that they kind of got the world Map And they just said, okay, let's each take a different direction and start marching. And I don't know if Thomas drew the long straw or the short straw, but he got east. And he's going, it's just desert. Keep 
walking, dude. Uh, go east. And so he does, in obedience, he does to the ends of the earth. He goes through modern-day Afghanistan. He gets to the borders of modern-day modern India. And he keeps going. And everybody he meets, he tells about Jesus and the resurrected Lord that he serves. It wasn't until 40 years later he got as far as the far side of India from Jerusalem, where he went all that way on foot telling thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people about the hope that he had and hundreds believed. And thousands resisted. And according to historians of the time, those who resisted overpowered those who believed and Thomas gave his life. The the translation is a little murky. Either he died uh, from spear or died uh, via arrow. We're not really sure, but, but either way, he gave his life to the cause. And I think if you drop in on Thomas in that moment and you go, was it true? And he goes, I saw the nail marks. It's true. Was it worth it? I wouldn't have given my life if it wasn't. Faith and belief, it's something that you choose. And since I made a comment on it earlier, can I also say, for those of you with weddings coming up this summer or next or some other time, or maybe you needed to be reminded that love is also a choice, also a decision, not something you fall into or out of. That's a temporary kind of love. That's infatuation. Sometimes that's lust. That's romance. That's not love. Love is a choice and love is a decision that God chose to love you and I and back again to new life. This summer with my wife, I am celebrating 17 years of marriage. Jesus said that it's blessed to live by faith instead of sight. And I think I'm starting to understand that. You know, because because if I was in this relationship for just sight, I don't know if I would have made it out of years five and out of years 10. It's hard. I didn't see a way, th- a way through. I didn't know how God could kind of put this thing together. But we made a commitment. And I am so eternally grateful that we walked by faith in those times. It would be better. It has to be better. Because when we walk by sight, We only go as far as we can see, which for me wouldn't have made it out of year five. When we walk by faith, we go as far as God can see. And we get to year 60. Faith, the word that Jesus used to describe our belief is blessed. It's a blessed life. Church, I'd like to invite you to stand up right now and we're going we're gonna to move into a time of prayer. And I just want to offer you that invitation. Some of you are on, on that line of, of taking that next big step over or maybe possibly taking that step for the first time. And so I want to invite you just to close your eyes for just a moment. And we're going to close in prayer. And I'm going to lead us in just this simple three-word kind of prayer. Uh, three words, sorry, thanks, and help. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not prioritizing you in my life. I'm sorry for choosing disobedience time and time again. 
I'm sorry for not sacrificing the life that you were asking me to sacrifice in order to follow more closely after you. But Jesus, thanks for loving me anyway, for dying on the cross and rising to new life and the promise that in you, I would too, Jesus as Savior. Thank you for making a way. And Jesus, help me follow after you. Help me to choose life and obedience to you every day for all my days. And church, with your eyes still closed and your head still bowed, some of you prayed that simple prayer, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Some of you moving over from from unbelief to belief, from skepticism to a place of trust. And so I just wanna invite you, if you've prayed that prayer and meant it for the first time or for the first time in a long time, would you just raise your hand right now? Amen, amen. Thank you for that courageous. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge you in heaven. And he's acknowledging you right now. And I praise God for it. Now, before you leave today, those of you who raised your hand, I saw several. I need you just to tell one other person, I put my hand up. I believe and I am in. I'm making this declaration. And for some of you, your next step isn't just to tell one other person. For some of you, it's to go online and counterchurch.org slash baptism. And you're ready to go public with this faith because Jesus went public with his death for you. He loves you to death and back again to new life. Come on, church. Let's welcome those who put their hands in the air. Let's celebrate what God is up to in the community. And let's keep on praising the Lord together. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.